I'm glad you guys are here, uh, both in person and online. Thanks for being a part of uh, the Vineyard, and Happy New Year. Somehow we lived all the way to, what is it, 2022. There you go. A couple people helped me out there. You guys all right? Is everybody awake? There's more coffee in the lobby if, if you need that. Hey, we are back to studying through the Gospel of Mark together, and in the spirit of New Year's resolutions, let me encourage you to actually read the Gospel of Mark. It's really good. You could do it all in one sitting. In fact, if you do it all in one setting, it's, uh, it takes you about an hour and a half or so to read uh, all the chapters, and uh, it's fascinating to see it like all together instead of little bits and pieces. And so I would really encourage you to uh, join our third graders uh, we gave them all a Bible a couple months ago, and they're cruising through the Gospel of Mark, and it's really fun. And then also, if you want to get more stuff out of it, we've got a small group that's really good on Wednesday nights uh, where we look at the Gospel of Mark. You can find that in kind of the small group material. So there's so much in this Gospel. I really believe that God can use it powerfully in our lives and give us uh, kind of a new pattern for how we go about life. So the big question that the Gospel of Mark answers is this one, who is Jesus? And Mark may actually, of the Gospels, give us the clearest answer to this question because it's like the most action-packed biography of who Jesus really is. So why is it important to know who Jesus is? Because if you want to know what love is, you have to look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, you have to look at Jesus. If you want to know like, what it means to be human, he's the one who created us. We look at him. The truth is, lots of us think we know who Jesus is. Lots of people, whether they go to church or not, think they know who Jesus is. But our lives are far from actually being like his life. Like There's a big difference between us. We like Jesus. He's popular in settings like this. Yet, pretty much all of us want him on our own terms. We take what we like, we ignore what we don't like. And what we're left with is a Jesus of our own creation, a, a, basically a projection of us. And here's the problem. The imaginary Jesus can't challenge us. <laughs> he can't ever contradict us. He can't heal us. He doesn't change our life. The imaginary Jesus absolutely cannot make your life what it was meant to be and cannot make it beautiful. And so here's the deal. With the pandemic, lots of us are kind of done with things that don't work. Life's too short. In the Gospel of Mark, we see a life that actually works. If we want our lives to be better, we can actually find who Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark. And so right in the first sentence of Mark, he tells us who Jesus is. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written in the prophet, uh, in Isaiah the prophet. The whole rest of the book unpacks that sentence. And it doesn't actually give a lot of commentary. It just shows Jesus doing what Jesus did. How he's an actual human. How he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. How he's the Son of God, the King of the universe, the Lord, the boss of us all. And he's the culmination of the whole entire story of the Bible. In a nutshell, that's the Jesus that we meet in Mark. And responding to him, responding to the real Jesus, <laughs> dude, that's the thing that we're invited into. That's what it's really about. And thankfully, Mark, just a few verses later, tells us exactly how to respond 
In verse 14, after John, meaning John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the good news. Today I'm going to focus on the believing part. What does faith really look like? It's through faith that we respond to Jesus. It's through faith that we connect to the king and his kingdom. He's a God of faith. We connect with God through faith. To be truly human means that we live with God in faith. Love, real love, is actually just faith in action. It's the way it works. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of our pastors here, John, talked about faith, about making new faith. Look, he looked at James, he looked at Hebrews, some big ideas about kind of foundational faith, risk-taking faith. And now in Mark, we have Jesus actually teaching us about faith in the real world. And it is a beautiful, it is a messy, it is sometimes a very confusing faith. And so that's what we want to dive into Right? Jesus meets us right there in the mess. And sometimes it's an important reality about Jesus we tend to ignore. We want to talk to Jesus uh, about like, the good parts in our lives. We want to like, uh, find Jesus in the parts of our lives that are all cleaned up. But what we discover in, especially these two stories, we discover how Jesus meets us in the mess of our lives in the stuff that doesn't feel cleaned up and really good. He's always waiting for us in the mess of our real lives. So if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 5. The Bibles that we have right there in the rack of the chair is uh, uh, page 685. Right, let me pray, and then I'm going to start reading in verse 21, Mark 5, 21. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that you extend to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the life that we experience, your life that we experience as we welcome you into every single part of our life. And Lord, would you grow us today, no matter how long we've been following you, would you grow us in our faith? Faith is, you know, in a in kind of a, a Christian world, in the 20th, 21st century, faith is a word that for so many people means so many different things. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask for your presence here and that you would help us to ground what faith is in you compared to all the other stuff that we've heard. We invite your presence here in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. There's, there's actually two stories here. Uh, one story of really messy faith surrounded by another story of even messier faith. And it's a little bit long, but it's kind of like a master class in how Jesus, as the king of interruptions and messy faith, actually meets us in that. And, so, um, and, and if you want to get something out of these stories, one of the things that's really important is to feel free to put yourself in the story. Just put yourself in the story. If there's a medical issue that in your life that you have been struggling with, put yourself in that. Or if you don't have a medical issue, put yourself kind of in the, in, in the shoes of somebody who does. Or may, maybe it's a sick child or, or even you know, somebody close to you who's passed away. 
Put yourself in the midst of the story as you read this to get something more out of it. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once... Jesus realized, um, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, Your faith is healed. You go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid, just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, (laughs) he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, "Uh, Talitha, kum which means little girl, I say to you, get up. It's uh, it's pronounced talitha kum, little girl, I say, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) That is so sweet. Imagine being with Jesus and seeing him do that. Listen, here's the deal. Where there is faith, Jesus still does that. Where there's faith, he actually still does that. And that's the kind of faith I want to talk about. He's giving us a master class in faith, in messy life, and in how interruptions really work. And what believing the good news looks like in the real world. And it's in two parts. There's a public lesson for everybody. And then there's a master class afterwards for the parents and the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the little girl. That's the advanced lesson afterwards. I'm going to unpack them both, but the first thing that I want to do is talk about the funny part in the story. Jesus is pushing his way through a crowd. People are hugging him, kissing him. They're grabbing him. They're pressing in all over, right? And and, and then his disciples are trying to get him kind of like through this mosh pit. And then Jesus stops and asks, who touched my clothes? 
Come on, that's got to be the funny part for you too. It's kind of ridiculous. The disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody is touching you. And so they, they make this kind of rude, kind of confused response. You see people crowding against you, and yet you can ask who touched me? It's a funny moment. Listen, if you put yourself in the story sometimes, the Bible could be seriously funny. And yet, if we stop and think about it, it's not just funny, it's also a little confronting. It's a little frightening at the way that we can see ourselves in this story. The crowd was all around Jesus. They're thronging. They're you know, in close proximity to him. But only one of those folks had the kind of faith that actually connected with him. Only one woman did. Listen, here's the deal. We can be around Jesus our whole lives. We can be talking about Jesus. We can be admiring Jesus. We can be inspired by him. We can go to church. We can join church online. We can go to small groups. We can be just like them. We can crowd around the guy. It's possible for us to be very much right up against Jesus and yet never connect with him in any meaningful way that meets our deepest needs. Super possible. It happens all the time, even in a room like this. And Jesus stops, he makes it abundantly clear what's actually needed to connect with him. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, it could be kind of tempting to think that we don't need another master class on faith, right? And another lesson on faith. How Jesus is the king of interruptions and faith. I think maybe we should think again. I've been around church like a really long time, and maybe you have as well, and it's easy to be around something and actually not make it your own. That because you're around it a lot, that you think you get it. Because you're there a lot, that you're involved a lot, because you give, because you serve. And it never actually becomes yours. But then tough stuff happens. Maybe you move to a different place. Somehow God isn't real, as real as we thought in the midst of crisis, and we discover that we're not as connected as we thought. So let's let Jesus teach us the basic lesson first. And the basic lesson is that messy faith is actually easier when your life is a mess. Messy faith is where the whole thing starts. And it starts for this woman right there, right? She was there. She'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, spent everything she had. She's getting worse. This woman is desperate. Faith is actually born out of desperation. She's suffering. We don't know exactly what her physical condition was, but in that culture, bleeding was stigmatized. It was unclean. She couldn't be part of society. She couldn't, touching other people was forbidden. Kind of like having COVID. It started as a medical problem, but it expands into a psychological problem, into a, a sociological problem, even a spiritual problem. And Mark makes it very clear that we know that the doctors, the cures, were actually worse than the disease. They tortured her. They left her penniless. And it's important to see that she wasn't just desperate because of her suffering. Her desperation went deeper. She got to the place of understanding, there's nobody in this world that can help me. I can't help myself, and there's nowhere else to turn. I, I once heard a, a wise old pastor say, God's address is really simple to find. God's address is at the end of your rope. If you want to know where to meet God, it's at the end of your rope. Most of us get curious about God when something goes wrong, when we're in trouble. You know, I, I, I've met lots of people who have shown up at the vineyard because something in their life is in trouble. 
It could be a diagnosis of cancer. It could be something because their career fell apart. Someone that they love has you know, left them. If, if that's why you're here, if that's why you're watching, man, I, I just want to know, God wants to meet you in that. Like, I'm sorry for your suffering. That's a really difficult place to be, and you're not alone. The Bible says deep inside we're all suffering. We all feel inadequate, empty, and alone. We all feel broken and seeking a cure. The truth is that everyone who walks through these doors or begins to join the vineyard community is fractured and broken in a pretty deep way. Some of us are just more aware of it than others. That's the truth. And those fractures, that brokenness, like that's actually what makes the community so incredibly beautiful. As God begins to like form and shape us into his body. Now, as you think about it, what's the cure that we're really after? Everyone wants some sort of miracle. Perhaps it's physical healing. Perhaps it's a great new job. Maybe someone to love us. But would that save us? Would that fix what's really wrong inside? Some of us have actually concluded there's nobody in the world that can really help me, and I can't help myself, so there's no place else to turn. And then we go to Jesus when we actually put our faith in him, when all of our alternative solutions and salvations have failed us, when we've given up on everything else, then we actually meet him. Let me put it another way. Some of us don't connect with Jesus Because the first stumbling block we face isn't that we have too little faith, it's that we have too much pride. The first stumbling block we face isn't that our faith is too small, it's that our pride is too big. So can we put our faith in Jesus? The question we're being asked is, or is our faith already in something else? Here's here's the deal. I don't wish suffering on anybody, but I would never trade my personal suffering for my relationship with Jesus. The personal suffering that I've endured, I would never trade that, and I would never wish it on anybody. But it has grown my faith in God in a way that words can barely express. It's actually really helpful. But here's the deal. We don't have to wait for trouble to go to Jesus empty-handed. We just need to get past our pride and admit that we're helpless, that we're weak, and that we need Jesus. So, all right, faith is messy, it's desperate, it's humble, and this woman's story continues. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. And immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Oh man, this is good. Notice that she'd heard of Jesus, that she knew about him, that she thought she knew what was, he was going to do. Like she had moved into this. Faith, faith in the Bible is not less than uh, rational, but it's more, it's, it's more than rational. It's like it's, it's rational plus. Faith in the Bible takes thinking. It wasn't just thinking about Jesus or reading books about Jesus that worked. She still had to sneak up behind Jesus, and she was scared. Faith in the Bible is not opposed to our thinking. Faith in the Bible is actually opposed to our fears, our self-protection, and our pride. And so it helps to know about Jesus, to learn about Jesus. But there's still a step of faith, a leap of faith, if you will, to actually go beyond the fear that we have. 
And I think this woman's faith is really interesting. She knew about Jesus. Her faith is pointed to Jesus. But she thought, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch his clothes, then I'll be healed. She's got a messy, kind of superstitious, a little bit of a magical faith going on. Here's the deal. Her doctrine stinks. Her faith is kind of messed up. It's kind of bad and it's kind of weak. And yet, that's part of the lesson. The object of our faith is more important than the strength of what we put our faith in. The object of our faith is actually more important than the strength of our faith. This woman's faith was flawed and it was weak. Jesus corrects her theology, but she was immediately healed because she had her faith pointed in the right direction. This is important because this is absolutely opposite of the way our culture, our television, our movies, our books, our internet says it works. The world says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it with all your heart. And Jesus is saying it doesn't matter how strong you believe as long as you're actually putting your faith in the right thing. Those are total opposite, completely opposite. Who are we going to believe? Which of those stories? Well, let's say that we go hiking up the Superior hiking trail. Right? There's three of us. Who's really good at math? Anybody really good at math? I need somebody who's good at math to go with me up the Superior Hiking Trail. If you're, if you're, just, just lie if you're not good at math. Sweet, you're going with me, right? And now I need somebody who's just really, really, really afraid of bears. Okay, you're going with me. So the three of us are going up the hiking, Superior Hiking Trail, and this would probably never happen, but let's say as we're hiking along, like a, a bear starts chasing us down the trail. And that bear is looking pretty mean and pretty hungry and pretty fearful and pretty strong and very fast. And we're running down the trail as fast as we can. We get to the end of the trail and there's a cliff. And we know we either have to jump off the cliff or the bear's going to get us and we're going to die. And so we get ready and we jump off the cliff. And math guy back here, math nerd, can I, can I call you lovingly, math nerd? Math nerd back there is figuring out like how far we have to jump, where the rocks are. And as he's figuring that out, as we're leaping off the cliff, he's thinking, you know, there's like a 90% chance we're going to make it. I'm jumping off the cliff and I'm going 50-50. I'm either going to live or die. I have no idea. It's 50-50. I've never been good at math, like whatever. And uh, the guy afraid of bears over here uh, is, is just jumping off going, we're all going to die. <laughs> and we land in the water and we swim to safety. Whose faith was stronger that actually got them saved? Was it the math guy because he figured out like everything's going to work and I had stronger faith that this is going to work? Was it me, just 50-50? Or was it the guy like, we're just going to die? Like we all made it out of it. Did you see how faith works? As long as you put your faith in the right thing, then the faith actually works. I, I, I love that illustration. It was actually from our pastor John. and I think it's a great little illustration. We're all equally saved because we all jumped. You just needed enough faith to jump. This woman didn't have great faith, but she had enough to go to Jesus. Her faith is pointed in the right direction. For us, for us this should be comforting, and it should be really challenging. It's comforting because if we put in our faith in Jesus, we can stop worrying about whether our faith is strong enough to save us. Your doubts are not a problem for Jesus, ever. Your doubts are actually welcomed by Jesus and actually welcomed here in our community. Let that sink in. That's really cool. Your doubts aren't a problem for Jesus. 
Yet I've also had folks say, if only I had faith like my parents, if only I had faith like my wife. Michael, if only I had faith like you. You don't know me. Nice try, but no excuse. To start, you don't need a ton of faith, right? Just enough to jump. Just enough to actually go to Jesus. I don't know where you're at today, but I hope you're able to use Jesus' basic lesson on faith here to connect to him. Messy faith, even doubting faith, stumbling, bumbling faith, works. You just go to him. You say, Jesus, there's nobody in this world that can help me. I can't help myself. I can't see a solution to my problem. I don't have any place else to turn. And you say, Jesus, I don't understand it all. I'm not even sure I believe it all. But I'm coming to you because I think maybe you can save me. I'm putting my weight down on you. That's what it means to begin to follow Jesus. And if you're really spiritual, you can say amen at the end of it. All right? Amen just means so be it. Like, make it so. Make it so, number one. Whew, that dates me. All right. Like Peter, James, and John, we also need Jesus' advanced lesson on faith. The faith that actually makes us more like him. So remember that this whole thing started with Jairus' daughter, Uh, being sick, and he's begging Jesus for help. He pleaded, verse 23, pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. It's like the ambulance is coming, sirens blazing, right? They're rushing to Jairus' house, and the wildly, shockingly maddening thing is that Jesus stops the ambulance, pulls over, and he takes time to smell the flowers and talk to this woman. He said, chit-chat about who touched him and let this woman know that her faith had healed her. And then in the meantime, remember verse 35, while he's still speaking to her, people come from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Don't, bear, don't bother the teacher anymore. And overhearing him, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. You could be like Jairus thinking, what? What do you mean just believe? Like my daughter died. I'm beyond afraid. Some of us, we've been there. We've been in a crisis moment where it's really hard to believe. And, and really, honestly, with the pandemic going on the way it is, most of us are struggling. We want to get past our fear, and we want to believe that Jesus is doing something good. But COVID won't end. The economy is a mess. The country is so divided. Like, where's Jesus? We want him to fix things right now. And when he's not fixing them right now the way we want him, we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We go to the knowledge of the the tree of the knowledge of good and bad and just pick the fruit ourselves. Well, fine, I'll fix it my way then. I'll do this thing. That's what we do a lot. He's the king of interruptions who refuses to hurry. We're plagued by fear. We're plagued by anxiety. We think we can do better than God. He lives differently because of his faith. And we're being invited into that kind of faith, into a beautiful, stunningly gorgeous new pattern for living. Jesus refuses to hurry because his priorities are different than ours. And his delay shows his priorities. Think about it. He's got this synagogue leader who's asking him for help. And he stops for a socially marginalized, an unclean woman, and he makes this male religious leader wait. It's how Jesus operates. He does this kind of thing all the time. He prioritizes political outcasts like Zacchaeus. He recognizes sexual outcasts like the woman with perfume in Luke 7. 
He connects with racial outcasts like the Samaritan woman in John 4. And because he's a God of grace, he's inviting us to have faith in his completely upside-down, topsy-turvy kingdom. His kingdom is way different than ours. Listen, it is so easy for us to adopt the priorities of the world, to worry about being in the inside crowd, to like care what others are thinking about us, to prize strength and power and success and wealth and beauty, and Jesus flips the whole thing upside down. He's inviting us to believe him when he said to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, not in strength, in weakness. The way in is to go to him empty-handed, and that's also the way on. We come to him with nothing. We need his life. That's the way we continue to live in him to let go of our hurry, our anxiety, that, that, that all we need is, is nothing to, to let ourselves be weak, to be in need, it's upside down. The way up <laughs> is actually the way down. And so if we want more strength, more power, make things easy, we humble ourselves and let Jesus give us the strength to serve others. If we want more wealth, more riches, that's the easy way. The hard way is we open our clenched hands and we let Jesus teach us to be generous. If we want more beauty, we actually look to the cross. There's nothing more beautiful than self-sacrificial love. We lay down our lives for others. Yeah, it's easy to admire Jesus and his priorities and want to live like that. It's not that we need to try harder to do that. It takes a leap of faith to put our weight and this upside-down kingdom, and to see his power made perfect in our weakness. And so I wonder where he might be inviting you to jump. Where in our messy real lives is he inviting us to go down so that he can actually lift us up? All right. Jarius comes to Jesus. He has faith in him. And then the next thing is daughter dies. It's kind of like how the disciples have faith in Jesus, and the next thing, and they f say yes to him, and the next thing is that they, they nearly drown in a boating accident. Jesus, if you loved us, wouldn't you keep these bad things from happening? And Jesus' response over and over again, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? He keeps saying the same kind of thing. Do you still not understand that my love and, and my power in your life is compatible with tragedy and suffering? Do you not see why? Now, the reason why is there when Jesus says that the little girl is just sleeping. It's kind of funny. It's not just kind of a goofy misunderstanding. She's dead. Jesus knows she's completely dead, and yet she's only sleeping because Jesus is there and something bigger is going on. So to the disciples in the boat, to the folks with the little girl, to us, Jesus is saying the only storm that can actually sink you the only death you need to fear, that I, I can save you from that. Like, I'll take the eternal spiritual death, the Father turning his back on me, that's the only tragedy really worth worrying about. I'll take that, and compared to that, all the other deaths are more like sleep. It's a whole different way of looking at these priorities. Another reason that we're so afraid that we hurry 
is because we major in the minors and Jesus is inviting us to have faith in his ultimate victory. Seriously, he defeats sin and death. What really else matters after that? If we let that sink in, we're not gonna be bent out of shape by the troubles and the tragedies in this life. Sure, they hurt. And sure, the suffering is real. But he, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 4 that they are light and momentary troubles compared to what Jesus has done. Again, I know life can be painful. This isn't about denying the pain. It's about welcoming Jesus in the midst of that pain. It's about letting God be God. Too often, we're tempted to think, I have faith in God, but he's let me down. I have faith in God, but he didn't bring healing when I wanted it. I have faith in God, but he let me lose my job and go bankrupt. I have faith, but God doesn't free me from this addiction. Do we really have faith in God, or do we only have faith in our agenda for God? That's the question. We tend to think our agenda for what God needs to do is the thing that God needs to do. But again, he defeats sin and death. He is making everything new. But it's his agenda, his timing. He's God and we're not. Life is so much better if we actually put our faith in him. Okay, one, uh, another lesson here in this advanced lesson of faith. Verse 41, he took her by the hand and said, and, and said to get up, Talitha, Talitha, kum, Talitha, kum. No, it's Talitha, that's how it's pronounced. Talitha, kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she stood up. Now think about it. Jesus didn't have to do it that way, with the word I can't pronounce. He could have just snapped his fingers. Right? He could have just waved over her or something like that. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Son of God, King of the universe. He could have raised them from the dead and said, you know, get some hot pockets. She's probably hungry. He takes her by the hand. He speaks to her in Aramaic, not Greek. He's talking to her the way her mom would have said it. Honey, it's time to get up. Honey, it's time to get up. It's kind of unnecessary. Think about it. It's unnecessary tenderness and compassion. Jesus is like a real human guy. He knows what it's like to be a kid. He knows what it's like to be part of a family. Another reason we're anxious that we hurry, that we kind of rush ahead of what God's doing, is because we make this abstract and impersonal. Jesus is just saving souls. He's collecting followers. No, Jesus is reaching out his loving, unnecessary, tender hand because he wants us in his family. He wants us in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. He's inviting us to have faith in his family intimacies, to believe that Jesus wants to touch real connection with us. He doesn't just simply want us to know about him and obey him. Like He wants us in his family. He speaks tenderly to this little girl. It's so beautiful. And I think he wants to speak tenderly to us, even right now. I think he wants to speak that way to us. In our lives right now, if we let him. Perhaps you've experienced loss in this last couple years. Maybe the faith that you experience right now, that you have right now, feels dead inside. Do you have faith to hear Jesus' tender words in this moment? I'm here. You're not alone. I love you, and you will get through this. Maybe you feel really confused, not sure what to do next in life. Do you have faith 
to hear Jesus' tender words in this moment, I've got you. I've got you. I got plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I have plans to give you hope and a future that would actually blow your mind. Or maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you just feel thin, like, you've, like you never have enough. And you, you know that God loves you kind of in your head, but do you have the faith to hear Jesus' tender words, I made you in my image, and you were very, very good. You're good enough that I would have died on the cross and experienced hell if you were the only one. I love you in that. And so, yeah, Jesus is teaching us a master class on faith, connecting with him, being more like him. He lets himself be interrupted. He refuses to hurry. What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that we can have faith in his upside-down kingdom. Through weakness and serving others, we'll experience his strength. He's teaching us that we can have faith in his ultimate victory, that the real storm is over, the battle is won, and he will get us through the light and momentary troubles on the way to him making everything new. And we can have faith in his, on our place in his family and a loving intimacy that goes along with that. All right, let's kind of put it into practice with some ministry right now. Why don't you guys stand up? So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. We welcome your life and your love. Father, I ask that for every single one of us, would you take our faith deeper than it's been before? Would you allow us to just reach out to you humbly in faith and say, Lord, I don't have what it takes. I want to experience you and your love and your grace. For those of us that are suffering, going through really hard times, maybe we've lost someone. For those that are kind of watching from home that are actually experiencing COVID. Holy Spirit, would you give us the grace to reach out to you in this moment and to hear your voice, to hear your love welcoming us in. Would you give us the grace for that? For those of us who feel lonely, We feel that we're just kind of out there on our own. God, would you allow us by your Holy Spirit to experience your presence, your deep, deep love? And then would you give us the grace to step out in a, even a little bit of faith and in this community right here begin to make some connections? to begin to pull down the mask, not the COVID mask, but the mask of pretending that everything's okay and actually be able to connect to one another. 
Holy Spirit, would you come? If you're on the ministry team, you make your way up here. And if you're here and you've never actually like just stepped in to beginning that walk of faith with Christ, maybe you've been around church like your whole life, but you never stepped into the beginning, I'm going to invite you to come up for prayer. Allow some of these folks that are up front just to begin to pray with you and just say, I want to know, I want to move towards Jesus the way that woman did. Like, I just want to move towards him the way that woman did. I've been around this thing. I've heard of him. But I don't think I've ever actually done that to experience him meeting real needs in my real life. I want that. And then if you're here today and, and you're in the midst of suffering, whatever that suffering is, would you come up for some prayer? We want to pray with you. We want to be the body of Christ with you to stand with you. And I think Jesus wants to meet you in that and bring answers to prayer in his time that maybe you've actually even just given up on. This is too big, it's too much, it could never work. Whatever that happens to be, I think Jesus wants to meet you in that. If you'll give him the opportunity. If you're online, you can click, please pray for me, or whatever that looks like online to request prayer. We would love to pray. We have pastors online to pray with you. And then we have a whole ministry team right here that would love to pray with you. These guys are going to lead us in worship. I invite you to just hang out. And you don't need to have it all figured out. You just need to have enough faith to jump. So Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage to actually respond to you in this moment?